This episode of The Yarn is sponsored by Heinemann and their professional book, Reading to Make a Difference, using literature to help students speak freely, think deeply, and take action, by Lester L. Laminick and Catherine Kelly. Colby talked with the authors about the book. We wrote Reading to Make a Difference as a way to help um, provide educators and librarians with a curated list of diverse books around different topics. And so we've selected books that we believe through the guidance of a teacher with some read aloud and some conversation can result in the notion that children have an awareness that they didn't have for that will lead them to the opportunity for taking action to try to make the world a better place. Inclusion matters. And reading to make a difference will help make your classroom or library a more inclusive place. Visit Heinemann.com to learn more and order a copy. I'm Shannon Hale. And I am Dean Hale. And today we're talking about The Princess in Black, published by Candlewick. Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. Shannon and Dean Hale, alongside illustrator Lewin Pham, have created one of the most beloved series in children's literature, The Princess in Black. I wanted to know how the series began, so I sat down with Shannon and Dean Hale to find out. Our conversation hit on all kinds of topics the challenges of the chapter book form, the mechanics of wife-husband collaboration, and, unexpectedly, piggyback rides. Let's get started. The way it started, it actually is like one of our only books that has a real good origin story. Just like any good superhero. Uh, our four-year-old daughter, whose name is Magnolia, she um, was, one day, she was pointing to the different colors on this butterfly skirt she was wearing. And she said, pink is a girl color, and purple's a girl color, and yellow's a girl color, but not black. Oh. And, yeah, it's that's like putting gender on colors. It's I was just, at work, though, so I didn't hear this. Yeah. It was just not something that I could let pass and I don't know where she would even hear this she's four and I'm like what do you mean I said I wear black and she looked at me like come on mama you're not a girl you're just a mama and I said that girl wears black and I really thought okay she's that's gonna close the argument and she said mama princesses don't wear black and I couldn't think of a princess who did wear black she was such a great observation I was like, oh, that's true. That is so true. And I remember I spent the rest of the day, I went to go exercise, which is the thing I do sometimes <laughs> from time to time. I don't want to brag. We're recording. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I went to my CrossFit appointment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hate, I hate exercising. And I usually listen to, like, not even music, but like a podcast or something to just, dis- or an like audio book. this one. To distract me while I'm doing it. But I had to turn it off after a while because I could not stop thinking about the princess in black. I remember I called Dean at work. I was like, the princess in black. And she's a superhero. Yes. And she, you know, by, you know, by day she's a, a, a princess in fluffy pink dresses and glass slippers. And When the kingdom is threatened by monsters. She becomes the princess in black. Yeah. And fights the monsters. And uh, he came home from work and I immediately sat him down and I got on my laptop. I was like, okay, let's go. I 
totally, you know, wanted to be part of this book because, you know, the monster fighting and I had to represent my people. Right, the, the monsters. Yeah. Yes. But um, it was it was a fun idea, but we decided specifically to do a certain format. Uh, we I was writing a lot more YA and, and middle grade at the time, and we could have done a great middle grade book, I think, with it. But um, Some publishers wanted it that way. Yes. But we really, our kids were at an age where I was really seeing that it's hard to transition from an early reader to Magic Treehouse. It's, it's a big jump, or Junie B. Jones, or any of those. And uh, I was reading a lot of books with my kids. We've got four children. And it's hard to find a book that simultaneously entertained all of them. The younger ones need full-color illustrations every page. And they need the page turns fairly quickly. And the older ones needed a more complicated story. And the best books I could find that did that were Mercy Watson. And there really wasn't much else out there like it. And when I talked to people, I was like, we need more Mercy Watson-type books. When I didn't even know what to call them. I think we're calling them transitional chapter books now. I think librarians were like, yeah. Yeah, librarians (laughs) are always way ahead of the game. They always know. They were way ahead on graphic novels before anybody else. But... um, and everything else. Let's just say it. Yeah, no, they're it's awesome. True. They're way ahead. They're advanced. <laughs> they're like they're like tween girls. Right. Librarians are like tween girls. They know what's up. They know what's coming. That's right. That's right. And yet no one listens to no them. No one listens. It's the Cassandra curse. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, is this for librarians? I assume because, you know, we're at ALA. There are probably some right, librarians well, right, that will listen to it. So we're not they, pandering. They know. This is truth. No, they know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Um Anyway, we were, um, I'd ask some people, like, why aren't there more books like this? And there were a lot of publishers didn't think there was a market for it. They were like, well, if you're Kate Camillo, you can do it. But, you know, <laughs> um, I know, and they are very expensive, yeah. I understand, to print. Yeah. I mean, these are full-color illustrations. You think a picture book only has, like, 23 pages, and these have 90. Yeah. And um, they, you can only sell them for the same price as a picture book. You can't sell them for more so you have to be able to produce a lot of them print a lot of them and know you're going to be able to sell them in order to do it and so you get someone with like Katie Camillo's weight behind it and she's very light this will not but be you mean professional you've given her a piggyback ride so you Kate know Camillo a piggyback ride you know That's what true. she gave him a piggyback ride I do have a tumbler I, I, I should advertise her. because I'd make a great deal of revenue from this tumbler <laughs> I mean not, not at all um, but it's called piggyback writer and it is photos of teen giving piggyback rides to other writers. It's true. And Katie Camillo is on there. Mm-hmm. And she was his favorite. She was my favorite of your writers because as soon as she got off his back, she gave she blurbed it. That's true. She said, uh, she blurbed the piggyback ride. Uh-huh. She, she stepped down, and in her small, regal way, she said, masterful. <laughs> and then she said, so that's, that's the first, that's, right. the, that's the bolded word with the exclamation point, masterful. And then she said, what was it, um... Uh, s- strong yet gentle. Yes. the best piggyback ride I've ever right, had. Right. I mean, she phrased, she formed it in. It a was blurb like a blurb. Thing. It was hilarious. And when we saw her today, we haven't seen her in a bit, and we saw her, and I was like, "Would you like a piggyback ride?" And she's like, "Of course I would." <laughs> <laughs> he gives the best piggyback rides I've ever had. I swear, she weighs like sixty pounds. She's too. so awesome. You cannot even tell. I love her so yeah. much. Anyway, I don't even know what we're talking about. Okay, yeah, no, no. Oh, Mercy Mercy Watson. Watson. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I guess basically what the publishers were saying is, Shannon Hale, you're no Katie Camillo. (laughs) Until Candlewick, and they said, well, we'll give it a try. (laughs) Yeah. No, a lot of people rejected. So we wrote four manuscripts, and um, 
and of course it wasn't illustrated yet, um, but a lot of publishers rejected it. And a lot, several did make offers, um, but with caveats like you need to make it, like they were 2,500 words. They're like, you need to make it 10,000 or 15,000. Or like, and, and, what's with the monsters? Yeah, there was, well, there was one, <laughs> I hope they're not listening, but there was one that was like, I don't get why she's always fighting monsters. Like, it's like you're running out of ideas. Why, why are there always monsters? And I felt like this is the kind of person who would watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and be like, again with the vampires? <laughs> what? What? You have any new ideas? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Candlewick was the only one that would just got it. They got what we got. It. And, of course, they also did Mercy Watson, yeah. so they understood... Um, how to sell that kind of book. And, and how to print it, obviously. Yeah, I and mean, how to the, print it. Yeah. And then they went, this important part of the story for me, and they went, uh, they talk about illustrators and came back and said, there's only one illustrator that we all agree that would be perfect for this. And that's Lewin Pham. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Because of course, but there's no way we're ever going to get her. She's so busy. Everybody wants to work with her. Yeah. I mean, unless we want to do this book in five years, you know. And she's like, well, it doesn't hurt to ask. And then Lay Wynn's part of the story is that she got a call, and she was trying to pull back on what she was doing, and her agent said, there's this new series that Candlewick wants you to do. And, and Wynn was like, well, I thought we weren't doing series, and we weren't going to take on any series anymore because that's such a big commitment. And she's like, yeah, well, it's with Shannon Hale. And Wynn said, I'll do it because we'd both been wanting to do work together forever and I heard and I called her because you're not supposed to talk to the illustrator but we're bad and I called her and I was like when I can't believe it and she said what's it about it. Yeah. and I said you don't you don't read the manuscript she was like I don't even know what is the title and I was like it's called the princess in black and I told her the premise and and she's like oh good I can do that <laughs> love superheroes and we read comics and uh, even though it's not a comic we 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 approached it in terms of a superhero story yeah so we I remember the very first day we sat down and I started typing and I was like my first thought was she's kind of like a Batman my my first first thought was she's a Zorro right but of course Batman is a incarnation of Zorro or a you know a, is influenced by Zorro yeah and we decided not to actually make her magical or superpowered because we wanted her to be a kid and so I started, like, like, we were, like, brainstorming. I was like, what are princess things, and how do we turn well, those into superhero you know, I totally things? forgot. I remember making up a list of, like, yeah. kit, of, like, gadgets and right. stuff. Like, what be... can her tiara do? Right, what can her right. scepter do? And we right. do have the scepter become a staff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have, she has a fan that she uses sometimes. Yeah. But that became less important to the story. Yeah. Um, but it was sure fun to think about. <laughs> yeah. And what... And then we, of course, we thought, what, what, you know, you need to establish what is the superhero protecting, like Batman protects Gotham. Sure. And we decided there's this goat pasture because we love goats. Goats are inherently funny they to me. The word funny. is funny. I don't know why, but. And there then, you go. and then the monsters could yell, "Eat goats," which is super fun to which yell. Which is fun. So <laughs> we had a goat pasture. Then we had a goat boy, and he, of course, is a big part of the story. And Duff the Goat Boy, who becomes his own... Everyone becomes superheroes. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> By the end, like, any hero you see in our books will probably end up being a superhero. Yeah. Because Princess in Black is a very generous superhero, and she does not need the spotlight. I feel like we were ahead of the curve with what, you know, in, in uh, Into the Spider-Verse. 
at the end they're like anyone can be Spider-Man. Right. That's like, and I feel like I mean that's, that's where we're going. That's basically what we were saying. saying. Yeah. You can be a superhero. Probably they got it from us. I'm sure they did. <laughs> I and and then we just wrote. I mean we brainstormed and wrote and I I feel like I knew the tone immediately. I knew it. I wanted it to be funny. I think I just got the tone. And um, I did reread Mercy Watson books over and over again. I was examining her length, uh, her sentence structure. Um, we did, we're not doing an early reader, so we didn't pay attention to, to, the, to having like simple words or sim- certain yeah. words with certain sounds. We could use bigger words, but we were very careful. Boy, we go over those manuscripts hundreds of times. We're very careful when we use bigger words that kids might not know, that we're, it's definitely in a context that they can figure out. And um, usually we repeat it two or three times. Yeah. And it's, it's a real specific balance. I mean, once yeah. you're locked into it, it's able to, you're able, at least for me, you're able to do it. But I remember when you we went away to, well, I was writing Squirrel Girl for a yeah. while, which is older. And then I came back to Princess in Black and I was overriding. It yeah. was just too. Yeah, it's a different rhythm. Yeah. It's a different feel to the words. And we, we definitely revise those more than any other books we write because you know that adults are going to be reading them aloud and also that kids are going to be rereading them over and over again. And when you're writing books that kids read literally dozens of times, you want every single thing to work perfectly. And also as a parent who has read aloud to children for hundreds of hours of my life, you know when you read those books that like the first time you read it, it, uh, it doesn't bug you that much. But then there's certain lines that I'm like, drive me crazy and I start to like change and when they get old enough to read they're like that's not what it says mom I was like well they said it wrong <laughs> they should have phrased it differently it doesn't make sense it doesn't flow <laughs> so uh, I'm very anal about making sure that the language flows and that's part of the joy for me for it for me collaboration well it, it usually we have a little uh, interpretive dance collaboration that we do but, um, yeah, we can, only, we can only explain through metaphor. Yeah, yeah, and it's, this is audio only, so you know you, you can't see the dance moves we're doing to illustrate the metaphorical collaboration. Did we post that video? I think there's a video on YouTube. If you look up Shannon Hale collaboration, there might be a short video about me and Dean collaborating. That's true, That's yeah. really authentic yeah. to our process. Uh-huh. But, you know, it, it's different with every book really but with with princess and black there's a lot of usually it will start out just breaking down ideas together and it's a lot like a retirement commercial we'll hold hands and do a walk around the lake and just chat Mm, about what's gonna be (laughs) and then and then when, when it comes down to the actual writing of it either the book itself or certain sections of the book um has have a steward like somebody who first we'll, we'll outline well that's we'll outline true. chapter by we chapter. have to do that uh, when you collaborate yeah. yeah there's a lot more outlining so we'll outline we'll get the idea we'll break down the story beats then we'll outline chapter back by chapter which will change some stuff yeah and then we'll split up for first draft some of the chapters yeah and there and, and oftentimes the easiest way to do it is if there are different points of view that you know one of us will take one point of view and another one will take you know like i'm almost always the monsters and yeah. and you're everybody else, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then and then we then it goes through revisions where you know she, I'll, she'll review what I wrote, I'll review what she wrote, and by the time it's over, it's hard for us to remember who was the first one to uh, write. The and thing. we freely we're not 
delicate. We freely delete each other and rewrite. And well, yeah, yeah one of us does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I overwrite. I tend to. I delete myself too, though. That's true. You do. <laughs> A lot. That's your autobiography title. I delete myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cannot say enough about Leigh Wynn's art. She brings so much life and humor to it. She does this balancing act where they are these gorgeous watercolor paintings. The colors are lush and rich and beautiful. And at the same time, so it looks like super classy like you'd see in like a classic children's book. But at the same time, they're so funny. And you know she's so good with facial expressions. and. We work together on graphic novels too, and the reason why, number one reason why I wanted to work with her on those and was thrilled when she agreed is because I was like, what I kept telling my editor was, we need someone who can do facial expressions because these books are all about how people are feeling and we need to see it. Not just facial expressions, but also body, yeah. uh, all know, the position. telegraphing. Just, just yeah. The, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she kills it, she kills it every time. I, those, I mean, those graphic novels have so many characters and so many panels and every single one you can look at it and know how the character is feeling. I cannot say enough how brilliant she is. And in these books, it's a, a totally different style because she's genius that way. She can do so many different styles, but uh, to be able to the do these, the fancy gowns yeah. and the monsters. So many monsters. And, the, you know, it just, and she curses our names. Yeah, because we make it hard. I get the text messages <laughs> because we really do. The, the stuff we send her, and sometimes we're not aware of how of hard how it is, is we're asking, and yeah. sometimes we are. But um, but it is like, it's like 80 illustrations for one yeah. book, and... Draw a character who can blend into her background. And they're full you know, paintings. <laughs> yeah, there's one where we're like, yeah. They're playing hide-and-seek. Princess Sneezer and... is playing hide-and-seek, and she's not worried about being caught. She's worried about never being found, because Princess Sneezer blends in with the table lamps. Princess Seasort blends in with the wallpaper. And so she has to draw the character and have them somehow believably blend in. <laughs> and so, and so, and she's like, ugh. Every time she gets a manuscript, she's like, ugh. And then at the end, she loves us again. But we can't really, she doesn't want to talk to us while she's in the process of, of the sketching. That's the one we can't yeah, talk. No. <laughs> she gets so mad. I send her, I send her care packages. I send her a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> One of my very definite goals from the beginning was um, to have boy readers, to have, as well as girls and non-binary kids, but um, it's a, it is a passion project of mine to bring awareness to how we shield boys from reading books about girls. And in my experience, it's about by third grade that you've kind of lost it. They've been so conditioned by about third grade that they can't read books about girls that it's hard to get him back at that point. So I wanted to write this book that's very definitely about a girl and a princess, the girliest of girls, that, um, that boys, there's no reason why they can't love it. And I can't tell you how many people, when I told them, um, I want these books to be for everyone, not just girls, that people said, boys won't read this. It's about a princess. It's called The Princess in Black. Give up that dream. This is not the book to worry about that. And I was like, you don't, no, this is exactly the book because there's no way they're like, if you want to do that, write a book that you can't tell from the cover or the title 
that it's about trick a girl. Em. And then be sneaky. And then they realize, oh, I read about a book about a girl. It's like, no, I don't want to trick them. I want the opposite. I want it to be, no one can argue this away. This is about a princess. And look at those boys freaking love it. <laughs> and, that's ex- and that's what's happened. There's still a lot of resistance. Um, you know, a lot of people get it. But I still hear from a ton of people of, of different gatekeepers only giving it to girls or telling these are for girls. And, you know, it still happens. But my hope is you get them young enough. And they love and love this series that's about a girl. And then maybe as they start to grow up and everybody starts to tell them you can't be can't have empathy for a girl. You can't be interested in a story about a girl. They will have that had that experience, but I did. Yeah. I already did. Thank you, Shannon and Dean Hale, for the interview. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme song. Additional music for this episode from the Free Music Archive. You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast at gmail.com and visit us online at the School Library Journal website. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>